on your part. All right, here we go. Welcome to the On Track and Field podcast. I'm your host, JT Ayers. All things track and field related. Go to ontrackandfield.com. They have equipment. They have video series. They have links to this podcast. And they have a whole lot of great stuff to give your team the best opportunity to be successful because they have the equipment. They're, they sponsor with a lot of people, like including Freelap and Gill and UCS. You need to go to ontrackandfield.com. I do. I'm a head coach, and they give me the best opportunity to give my athletes the best opportunity to be successful. That includes hurdles and pole vault poles and pole vault pits, high jump pits, everything track and field related. Go to ontrackandfield.com. You know one thing they don't have? sensors on their blocks that are going to malfunction and DQ people in the 110 hurdles that don't deserve it. That's right. Devin Allen, we all love you and you do, you got hose. I digress. Well, today is actually a pretty special podcast because a year ago, coach Brian Fitzgerald and I sat down and was the number seven podcast that we recorded. And we talked about the four by one. Now this is prevalent and relevant because we are looking at maybe one of the greatest four by ones ever coming up this Saturday. And that is the United States four by one led by Fred Curley, who ran nine, seven, nine in uh, an opening round and then won the hundred at nine eighty six, followed by Marvin Bracey at nine eighty eight. Uh, Trevon Brumel nine eighty eight. And yet there's also Christian Coleman, who might be one of the greatest starters ever to run this event. Definitely is an exceptional 60 meter indoors runner. So think about that. We have four of the greatest combined four by one that's going to run on Saturday. And we're going to talk about with coach Fitzgerald and myself, we're going to talk about handoffs. Are they as important as they should be? Should us be practicing as much as they are? There hasn't been a sweep in one in the world championships or the Olympics since 2007 by any country. And the United States just did it one, two, three. 1991 was the last time the United States even saw a sweep like this. And so now we have an opportunity. And when I say we, I mean the country, not myself included. We are going to be able to watch the United States have this opportunity on Saturday to do something that is extremely special. And you know what? I speak for the entire country and say that we are nervous because we don't have a great history of doing practice with handoffs or even see them as that important. Now, we are rooting for the United States to do this, and so Coach Fitzgerald and I are going to talk about what happened at the last Olympics in Tokyo, what are some maybe solutions that we can uh, address and maybe adopt, and so this is a really important podcast to listen to with the 4x1 just on the horizon on Saturday. So without further ado, with me right now is Brian Fitzgerald. Brian Fitzgerald, Hall of Fame coach. His relay teams have been some of the best in the nation. I can go on and on and on about the accolades and the things that his athletes have done. He is humble as could be, so it's nice for me to brag about him to everybody. He's been a mentor of mine for a long, long time, as he's a mentor to a lot of people, too. You're, I come to find out. His coaching tree is excellent. But be sure to learn, uh, listen to our first podcast, where we went all things 4 by one and we actually talked about the 4 by one before the Olympics. So I am actually going to start right now, Brian, kind of put you on the spot. We watched the 4 by one what are your thoughts? Uh, hi, JT. Hi, <laughs> hey, yeah, it's, it's good to be back with you here. Um, well, let's see. For the four by one um, on both both the men and the women, but you know more with the men. Obviously, I think the 
the adjectives that I would go with are uh, disappointed, um, frustrated, not surprised. Uh, and then I've, I'm feeling a lot of empathy for the athletes and the coaches because uh, they were put in a position not to succeed. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you can't blame the relay coach for that. You know, when, when the relay coach only gets to uh, see those athletes for a very limited amount of time, you know, with something that's, that's really technical uh, to figure out and he's substituting or people in and, and out. And, um, you know, I think I, I, since the Olympics, I heard a, a little podcast with Vince Anderson, and I think he identified the problem really, really well. Um, it's, you know, where we're messing up in the relay in the four by one is, is um, running up on the outgoing runner. Um, because we're playing it safe and the incoming runner is running fast and the outcoming runner maybe is playing it safe and we mesh, um, you know, the outcoming runner or the incoming runner can't, uh, has to slow down a lot and doesn't slow down enough. And the type of pass that we do, um, you know, requires some space in between. And when we run up on each other, we're in trouble. And all I can say is, you know, at least on the men's side, you know, if we're not going to practice and we're not going to have relay camp and, and we're not going to choose a team far in advance and, and that maybe aren't in our 100 and 200, which we could do, you know, as a country, we're, we're fast enough to do that. Then we need to go to a different kind of pass that allows you to pass when you run up on somebody. And guess what that pass is? Yeah, the upsweep pass, which you and I made the case of that we both really we, – we look at the science, we look at the experiences that we've had with our relay teams, and then there's one team that did the upsweep pass – did make it into the four by one finals was in lane nine and that was japan in japan i wish this didn't happen they were looking very good by the way uh a little too aggressive first leg to second leg he basically took it was too aggressive ran away and the guy never had a chance to even give him the baton the pass actually would not have determined anything in that particular instance because the first if the if the incoming runner can't catch the outgoing runner it doesn't matter what pass you do no, yeah, they had a they had a timing mistake for sure. Uh, they were trying to, you know, I I don't know what happened. If, if if their guy took off too early, obviously the the incoming runner who was one of their fastest guys uh, couldn't couldn't catch the outgoing runner there. But um, you know, no matter what pass was on there, there they were going to be disqualified. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, too bad for Japan. But uh, but uh, you know, again for the Americans, like it's our system and it's frustrating. And um, you know, I I think if you know we want to change that, we don't blame the coaches. Uh, we don't blame the athletes, you know, we, we blame our system. So basically mm-hmm. that's my takeaway. And I think the women significantly underachieved as well. You know, I think they could have, they could have also run faster and it's, you know, it's all due to the fact that we're, you know, that we're having to be super safe and not moving the baton through the zone quickly. And, and even by being safe, ironically, we're, we're, it's dangerous because we're running at the backs of our outgoing runners. All right. So let's transition to, something that we were very successful with and we have been successful in for a long time. And that's the four by four. This entire podcast can be dedicated to probably a subject that not a lot of people talk about because they don't feel like there's enough to talk about, but you and I have a great admiration and love for the four by four. So what makes the four by four like such an important event and what makes a good four by four? Well, I mean, I think, you know, especially on the high school level or any collegiate dual meet or even like the Olympics, the, the four by four is the last event um, of any track meet, unless the field events run over a little bit, but it's, it's obviously the last running event. And um, for high school coaches, it's, it could win you the meet. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, we, it, high school is the last big bastion where track and field is scored. 
I mean, you know, in Olympics, we kind of keep score of medals and who gets this and who gets that. The collegiate dual meet has kind of gone away. Um, you know, I, I mean, there still are dual meets. UCLA and USC have a great dual meet and, mm-hmm. you know, there is scoring in that, but, but it hasn't become the, the focus of what it was. But high school meets, you know, winning a conference or a league championship is a, is a big deal. And the four by four is your last event and it can, it can win the meet for you. Uh, many times I've had meets come down, you know, to that event. And, and let's say you're getting waxed um, and you're not going to win that meet. Um, and it's all there, you know, should you, should you even run the four by four? Well, you know, it can provide your whole team with some consolation, I think, you know, to walk away with a good taste, you know, in your mouth, if you, if you can come away with a victory in, in that last event, like our teams did in Tokyo. I mean, oh, yeah. I think our men had not won a gold medal on the track the whole meet did, you know, some field events. I mean, Krauser did a great job, you know, but sure. we, we hadn't won a gold medal and um, we all felt better that our men came back and, and won that four by four. And I think that's why it's so important. Uh, it's a team event. It, it's, it takes away the individuality and we have to work as a team. And I think, you know, especially as high school coaches that we want our kids to, to understand what teamwork is. And we, you know, we're teaching them to make sacrifices for others on the team. And I think that's uh, that's why it can be so, so important. Um, and I know you, I mean, I know you run a, you know, you run a bunch of four by fours in, in your meets. I think, you know, I think we should put B and C teams on the track anytime we can just to get kids involved um, and to, um, you know, to, uh, to use it as training. You know, there are, there are many things that are, that are important and special about the four by four. If we can't get in a, you know, a, a full week, sometimes we have dual meets and, and invitationals in the same week, you know, and it's tough. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's also great training, I think. Um, right. And it, like you said, ahead. Ryan, no matter what happens, <clears throat> excuse me, no matter what happens, if you win the four by four, you're going to go home happy. <clears throat> Excuse me, like <laughs> they got me all choked up a little bit. Yeah, I did. I yeah. wiped um, the tears away. I know. A single coach's <laughs> tear just dropped from my eye. Okay, so again, no matter what happens, you you lose the dual meet by thirty. The invitational did not go. The Olympics did not, you know, produce the results of the medals you wanted. Even though some of those results were Olympic world records, right? The you win the four by four, you feel good because now it's not just the four hundred meter runner. And four of them, I mean, you can have an ander runner, a hurdler, you can have long jumpers, triple jumpers. Yes. And I, I'm always interested at the high school level. And I think collegiate coaches need to think about this as well is culture needs to be our, you know, one of our highest priorities. And how do you develop culture is the four by four in a performance or a setting like a dual meet in an invitational. It's extremely important. It is a spectacle at my school for the four by four, not just because of me, because the kids have adopted it. Everyone's done with the whole meet. You have pole vaulters there. Uh, discus throwers have come down. The distance runners are on the ground laying around because they just ran 3,200, right? Everybody's doing the four by four. And we'll even pull out the flags from football games, these big, big flags. I say T and H on them for a high school. And they'll go back and forth and back and forth. And everybody's running from one side of the track to the other. And yeah, I will put six to seven four by fours on the track because one, it's we'll talk about this later. It's a great means of a of a workout. Probably the best rep you'll get all week in anything you do is because of that four by four. And also sometimes there's surprises. You find kids 
and it's fun to get a lot of people involved. I'm grabbing dads from the stands and they're getting splits and um, you never give your stopwatch to the jumps coach because they cannot figure out splits. And <laughs> you just have a really good time with it and you watch kids compete and uh, find stuff and you give them an opportunity and this power of moments to look within themselves and see like I did something I didn't think I could do and that's fun and I don't have a problem finding kids to do a four by four like a lot of coaches do. And it's an awesome way to bring your team together at the end of a meet where, mm -hmm. you know, by, by nature, track and field is fragmented. You know, you have your sprint hurdle jumps group, you have your distance kids and you have your throws kids. But if we can bring them all together, you know, in a high school meet to end it on a high note that way, I think it's a huge thing with team building and excitement sure. and, you know, recruitment later on. Kids, you know, kids see that and want to be on the track team. So mm -hmm. I think that's great. And, you know, you ask what makes a good a good four by four. Yeah. Like who <laughs> but, runs what yeah. leg? Like that's the million dollar question. Four by one. We can talk about who starts second, third, like the four by four seems a little more open-ended. What are some of the advice you would give people for who runs which leg? Well, you know, good is relative to the, the, the talent you have, obviously. And, and, uh, I think being smart tactically and strategically, uh, is going to make you better than, than, you know, if you're not doing that, obviously, because th there are huge advantages to being strategically smart, um, like running the shortest distance possible, you know, in the race. Um, uh, do, do you know, I mean, for a one-turn stagger, let's say you're running one lane wider than I am. And in the okay. four by four, if you're running in lane two on a turn and I'm running in lane one for one turn, you've run three and a half meters uh, or three and a third meters farther than I have. So let's just say, you know, you're behind in a race and you got three kids that have to run uh, at least one of the turns in lane two, you've lost 10 meters in a four mm -hmm. by four. That's huge. I mean, that's a second and a half with high school sure. kids and with boys. And uh, so it's, you know, one of the things you don't want to do is run outside on a turn. Um, you know, another thing you don't want to do is, is um, uh, you want to minimize the slowing down in the exchange zone. Um, and we'll talk about how to do an exchange, I think, but, you know, we've all seen kids, facing the wrong way and hopping, doing, doing the little side right. hops, you know, <laughs> and, and, and really not running very hard. And the, you know, the incoming runners decelerating hugely, they're tired, but, you know, they don't have to decelerate hugely at the end and mm -hmm. maybe talk a little bit about, you know, uh, why we would do that. And I think one of the rules of thumb might be to, to get ahead early. So you're not, not behind, you know, in those exchanges, it gets messy, on on uh on exchanges two and three right everybody's coming down that straightaway at the same time maybe you know if you're in an invitational meet anyway you know with nine lanes coming at you um it, it's a lot easier for you if you're you know near the lead or in the lead uh when you do that which brings up the question of how do you how do you place your runners what do you want to do do you want to front load your relay so you get out quickly and run quick kids you know, maybe your fastest kid even, you know, out of the blocks, or do you want to backload it and come from behind? Yeah, I've heard teams and, that like to go fast to slow. Like, that's what they say. We always go fast to slow, and and we can have, you and I can have debates about that, if that's wise, or even that we try to go slow to fast. You know, we try to get out, and then our runners have an opportunity because they will run a better split when they're behind kind exactly. of attitude. Exactly. You have personnel that will go chase kids that won't run as fast as they don't have somebody to go chase, you know, so sure. you've got to balance all of those things. And I think that, um, you know, if you know you're a superior team, you know, you know, you're going to be up there, then I then I think it's uh, 
you know, you have to do less to have success, obviously. Um, you know, you can let your, your fast kids run people down on an acre leg or something like that. Um, you know, I, I've never known anyone that runs their two best kids in the middle of it. I'll tell you that. That's, <laughs> you know, that's not something that I've ever seen, I don't think. But um, I really believe it's important to get out quickly on the first leg. And okay. so for your first runner, you don't want that to be an 800 meter runner because those guys don't, ladies don't use blocks. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to come out of blocks and um, <clears throat> they got to stay in their lane. So it's good to have a, you know, really maybe an open 400 kid, you know, or at least someone who, who runs a 200, a longer, you know, turn race to, to be able to do that. And uh, somebody who can really judge that three turn stagger, because, you know, when you're out on the first leg and you catch the person in front of you, you know, on that first leg, you're not just even with that first, that person coming down the home stretch, you're, you're three and a half meters ahead of that person. And you got to know that. But if somebody catches you, you are three and a half meters behind that person. And you right. need to understand that. And if you're not in lane one, you've got to be mentally tough and know that you're going to run past that finish line to make the pass. And that's, that's kind of daunting for some kids. And it takes, it takes work to, you know, not to go out too hard and, you know, think you're going to be done at the finish line. Uh, you know, you're not, you're going to have to run past that and, and make that pass. So, so let's pause and say that these are things that you train. Like this oh, is yeah. one of the, this is one of the elements that a lot of coaches almost say, I just don't have time for it. And we understand that, but the four by four is something you plan for, you train for. Like if you're going to be in lane nine, then you start practicing handoffs at a lane nine in a different part. If it's a three turn stagger, and not only that, but put your kids in situations if it's a big invitational. When you put 13 kids on the track and you're focusing on one team to do exchanges because you don't know what it's going to be like. Put them in different situations and get real creative and make it fun where you're sending kids at different times and they have to get used to doing an exchange. And again, we'll don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. We'll talk about exchanges. Yeah, talk about, about practicing and stuff. That, that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, it's fun and it's really useful, you know, to, to, to simulate traffic and congestion and, you know, to do all of It doesn't take anything stuff. away from your central nervous system. And you're just doing basically handoffs. It's not a four by one handoff. A four by four, right. it's basically you do it at the end of a workout, have fun with it and do it for a long time. It's not right. going to hurt your kids the next day. Right, right. And practice again, you know, I don't, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves either, but practice, you do it at the end of a workout because sure. how are you feeling in a 400 when you're <laughs> coming in? You're not mm -hmm. fresh, right? So we do it when our kids are a little bit fatigued and it, you know, that I think that helps, that helps as well. Okay. So go to but, the second runner. Okay. So second leg, um, we're not so worried about blocks. So, you know, first of all, who do we consider to be on that team? Right. I mean, I, I've had kids that were 1600 meter runners run on my four by four. Um, not a lot of them, but some, you know, we had a 408 miler who was a state champion in California and you bet he was on our four by four cause he could run, you know, consistently at least 50 flat and, mm -hmm. and, you know, he was a fast kid, but I would say a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of the kids that we have have are, are really good 800 meters that, you know, they can run a, a fast four. Um, so your second leg might be a place where you could throw in, if you have an 800 meter an 800 meter runner, because they're going to hit that break line you know, after they run the, the first turn that they're running there and have to make that cut, you know, and you don't want to make that cut as a left turn and you want somebody who's experienced and can run kind of a tangent toward the far turn. Sure. They're used to uh, it. And yeah. And not run the, um, not run a, you know, if you make a left turn, you're running a lot further. Plus you're not running as fast if you're, you know, if you're coming through there on the, on the brake line. So, well, so let's t Brian talk about when, after the second 
exchange or the first exchange has happened and the second runner is coming around the turn and let's say it's a three turn stagger they get to basically with a 300 meter hurdle start for lane yeah, one. The is the 800 every track has a 1500 meter start right. line you know so the that's where the runner break in break. yeah so they need to get from point a to point b and what i typically teach them and michael norman did a really good job as the second leg in the relay for this and i I was showing my own children, my 12 year old, two 10 year olds and nine year olds, look at this and look at them. And, you know, again, I, I got a little emotional because they understood what I was talking about, but the, he went from, I think they were lane five or six. He went from there. His aim, his goal was to get to the 200 meter mark ahead of people because he didn't want that. He didn't want to get behind someone and have them dictate his race win. Right. He's already right. 200 meters in. And so, I try to teach that you know the shortest distance between two points is a straight line so you're going from right. point a to point b point b is that lane one 200 meter mark so you can get into the turn ahead of people because we don't want to we want to avoid passing people on a turn because they'll fight you and then again you're running three in a third meter longer yeah or or even worse if there's a big chunk of people on that turn you know you could get pushed out to lane three and it would be even farther and and mm -hmm. so michael norman did a great job of running to the tangent the botswanan uh you know cut early and got in front of him and he 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 was i mean he ran a shorter distance obviously to get there but he had to run on the outside of lane one inside of lane two a little bit around the turn you know maybe if he had tucked in he, he was impatient and i know but maybe if he had tucked in uh, he could have run, you know, quicker down the straightaway. I mean, you don't know there, there, right. there are trade-offs there. He had to run a little farther around the turn because he couldn't quite get in front there, but, or maybe he could have spent more energy on the backstretch, but I think his open 400, you know, he, he didn't finish too well there. So, you know, he's thinking I'm going to, I'm going to have to save a little bit, you know, for, for the end here. Well, so but this anyway, is maybe a... an 800 meter runner there, right. uh, somebody has experience okay. in, in, in traffic third leg, typically for me. I mean, we used to have an old expression in Dragon Bill called hide the mule, um, where you, you get <laughs> yeah. three, three racehorses and you got one you're say. that, you know, is not quite as good as the other three or the other two. Um, I, I'd, I'd run that person third sometimes because we could get out with two real good legs. That person would not have to try to pass anyone. They could get the baton in first or second or wherever they're going to be, and they could stay in lane one the whole, you know, the whole time there. Um, and not have to, uh, you know, not have to run outside and force other teams with faster kids to run farther because they'll have to pass, you know, them on the outside on the turn. And, and if that kid can hold the straights and make people pass on the turn, hold the backstretch and make people pass on the turn, uh, that just helps you because they're running further. Um, well, so most people will hide their slowest runner third. Yeah. Um, but I've seen, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm giving away a secret. I've actually been hiding some of my fastest kids third because I know this is my moment where they're just going to eat kids alive. No matter wow. where we are in the race, you give that kid a baton and you say, go put us in first place. I need you to do, like, you get them all pumped up, get them excited and say, I, no one knows who you are. We know who you are. You're our wild card. And also this is a good place to put that hundred meter runner where you know has speed, you know is fast. And you're like, listen, you don't know how to run the 400. I can give you a crash course about 80 PCP the first six seconds of the race, lactic <laughs> acid, what, you know, your 200 meter like split should be. We're not going to do that. Go fight. And that's the best thing about a four by four is that you may know all the energy systems and pacing and all, but at the end of the day, you got to be aggressive and you have to go and just fight. And 
I heard, I, I told my team about five years ago that it was a, it, this is a bar fight and not one of my kids have ever been to a bar or a bar fight. Very nice children. <laughs> and so preparing them for the future. I mean, of you course, know. <laughs> a bunch of hooligans. So, but the idea is there's four of you and you're going to go have a, have a fight together against everybody else. And it's never going to be pretty. There's not a perfect four by four and you can't micro dose in every little, you know, analytical thing about what's going to happen. You need to go out and you need to run. And I try to tell my athletes to be aggressive. I try not right. to let them, you know, you're not going to pace this thing out and try to beat people in. You're just going to go fight. And so second runner, I like the idea of what you said. That's typically my strongest runner mentally as, as well as physically. Um, and then you, you third runner can be, honestly, it depends. And so I think at this point in the podcast, let's say this, talent and how fast your athletes is one thing, but maybe in the four by four, and this is just me, you can disagree with me, look at personalities a little more. Absolutely. Look, no, I agree. If you've got a kid that chases people down and runs better from behind, then you know, you can do that and get, and get on a third leg. You can make a big difference, you know, a big difference on that third leg because typically coaches will have their slowest kid there. So, you know, you can go past on the straights and, and, you know, the back stretch and the home stretch and open up, you know, come back and open up a lead for, you know, so that your anchor leg has to run nothing but lane one, but it's really nice for your anchor to get that baton in lane one and stay in lane one and not have to think about trying to pass anyone. Sure. And so if you, if you can do the footwork before that to make that happen, that'd be awesome. So your, your fourth leg doesn't have to be your fastest leg, but it's got to be, you know, it's got to be a good leg and it's got to be someone who's aggressive and resilient and just tough, you know, who's going to be tough. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think for personnel wise, there are a lot of, a lot of things you can, you can do for me personally. And especially if you were running indoors, let's just say, I, I know there are coaches back East that are going to listen to this in the Midwest who have indoor seasons it's even more important to get out in front because on a 200 meter track, trying to pass on those bank turns or, you know, those, those 200 meter, you know, tight turns mm -hmm. is really, really hard. So, you know, the shorter, the shorter the track is, I think the, you know, for the 200 meter uh, tracks, uh, the more you want to get out, um, you know, the more you want to be ahead because it's just so much more difficult to pass. Yeah. Um, don't handicap your athletes. Like right, exactly. a, a coach is going to put together a four by four, based solely on the idea of I'm putting kids in an opportunity to have a moment. Like it's, I'm putting them in, I'm put, I put it in an order. I have no idea the outcome, but a good coach is, they kind of know, and they know that they're going to give their kids a chance. And that's the thing about the four by four, give them a chance and see if they excel. And also I love running a lot of four by fours because the more experience you have, the more opportunities you have at the end of the season to do well. Like I would, you know, and same thing with the four by one, just give your kids opportunities to learn from the race and experiences. So, okay, we talked about the legs. Let's get into how can, and by the way, there's, I'm laughing because people are, there's some teams that are so bad at this. How do you receive a baton and where, and what should it look like? Can you lay that out for us? Well, <laughs> um, you know, if you look at, if you watch the Olympics, let's go back to that. Everybody did a visual pass where they had eye contact the full time. I didn't see one team that, that broke eye contact. Okay. Um, Can I play devil's that. advocate? Um, and I'm not, I don't do that. And oh, you don't so, do that. And well, that's actually <laughs> yeah. not true. I, we don't oh, break do eye contact. Yeah. So my, and there's a problem with it though. And I'll make sure. And I think you're going to speak to it too. I have my kids 
put their arm, their hand up and open, and I always tell them above their shoulder, their left hand. They're always facing the infield, right. always. Right. They make eye contact the entire time and turn and go. It's great. But what if someone's ahead of you and they stop? Well, you turn around, you're going to run right into somebody. That's the downfall of that particular pass. And I know pass is perfect, but so explain what you do. Well, I, I, I do the same thing. I mean, I, you know, I was going to contrast what we see our elite athletes doing, you know, even in the NC2As uh, where they could practice a lot as a team um, and the Olympics, the, the, they never break eye contact. They don't turn around. Okay. What they do is they just go with their head looking back the whole time, you know, and take it with their left hand. So for me, we don't have to do that. And I think the, I think the big thing is um, for us, we want to get up to speed of the incoming runner, whatever that's going to be. And usually I would try to make my pass right at the finish line and give the outgoing runner 10 meters of acceleration there. You know, you don't want to pass it within five. And if you go back and look at again at the Olympics team, they, they were making the pass with five meters of acceleration. So that's where we lost some time. Hmm. And maybe, you know, maybe we did lose those, you know, those few ticks that, you know, could have given us an Olympic record there because, you know, the incoming runner was slowing down, you know, at that point to make the pass. For me in high school, I like to motivate that, you know, incoming runner to attack the zone and to come in hard. And so if we're looking and having eye contact and then as we take off, turn our head away and run two or three steps, what does that tell the runner that's coming in? It's telling them they're not waiting for me hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to have to finish hard. Oh, um, I like that. Yeah. And, and they're going to they're going to push, you know, to the finish line and, and, and pass, you know, because um, they know that they don't have that confidence. When, when, you know, if, if you're looking me in the eye and you're the outgoing runner and you see that I'm struggling and I and I'm looking you in the eye, I know you're going to wait for me. <laughs> right. But if you turned your head and took two or three strides and then opened up and made eye contact with me again, then you know, that gives me a little more motivation to run hard through the finish line. And I'm not going to back off at all to make, to make that pass. So, um, you know, like you said, always facing inward, always left hand, always switching to the right hand, um, unless you're the anchor runner. I guess or you if you're left-handed. Yeah. Or, or, well, yeah. And I, I think it's just, you know, it's hard to go, if you're left-handed, it's hard to go across your body to make that pass as you're coming in. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to make a pass, you want the baton in your right hand because the outgoing runner is going to be on the outside of you a little bit. Oh, I see. You know, so you don't want to come across your body, you know, making that pass that way. But right. Benjamin must be a lefty because he anchored our relay and he left it in his left hand the whole way, but it didn't matter because he was, you know, he was the anchor there. Um, so I'm, I'm for a, what I call a semi visual pass. Okay. Where, and you are too, right? Your kids turn. They do not. Oh, they don't. They don't break. No, eye contact. They okay. don't. Well, okay. and this is, but what you just said, again, I mean, that's, it makes complete sense. The psychology of the athletes you're coaching is like paramount in any type of coaching. Like this, we need to understand our athletes and what they're doing. But what you're talking about is practice that, get your kids used to it. And then the first thing they're going to ask you after every single race is what's my split, you right. know? And so right. let's help them have better splits by, right. you know, right. helping the athletes receive and then give the baton in the fastest way possible. Right. And just for coaches that are, that are not, um, you know, real experienced coaches, we might say this about taking splits. Um, it's not how long the kid has a baton. It's, it's line to line. So, you know, you've got to, on that first split, you've got to find the one turn stagger, <laughs> um, you know, and, and uh, 
and 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 take your split right there, you know, uh, because it's not going to be when when that that kid gets a baton. It's going to be when they cross that line of the one turn stagger. Right. And then on every other split, <clears throat> it's going to be the finish line, mm-hmm. whether the baton has been given up or not. So you know, don't you know, don't don't stop the split if the pass is made five meters into the zone. You have to have that other five meters. That's the only way you're going to get kind of true splits for those kids, you know. Um, right. Um, and do that. But um, anyway, so I do a semi-visual pass and I I think they're both fine. And, you know, for me, is it safer to do a visual pass all the, all the way, you know, through like you do, or like, like, you know, like most of our our elite teams do. Yeah, it probably is. Is it faster? I, I don't know. Cause psychologically, I think my kids will run harder. You know, if I, if I turn around on them, turn my back to them for a stride or two and, and then open up and, and take the baton there. Well, and you better um, be ahead if you're going to do a visual pass the entire way because that's a problem if you're not ahead and you and there's nine teams well, yeah, in the race. You know that. Well, that's the other thing. That's the other um, advantage of of turning completely away and running two strides is you know what's in front of you before you turn back. Now, if you're not ahead, there could be people stop that are you know in front of you. You could run into them. You know, if you're looking back the whole time. Um, you know, there, there are a number of obstacles I think that could come into play if you're not one, uh, one aspect of that, of the, the baton is as soon as you receive the baton, the one thing that I constantly am yelling and usually in a dual meet, I'm on the track and getting splits and making sure kids are lined up where they should be, especially if there's seven of them on the, and, and I got to figure out who has what, by the way, one little thing is just use different color batons. It's, you don't have to put ribbons on their thing. I just use different color, batons. I have like 10 different colors. It's much easier. You give so a stopwatch. Yeah, yeah, you give a stopwatch to a dad, and you go, "Your red baton," and he doesn't have to know the kid's names or whatever. Right. right. Um, great, get ahead. Great, great move. That's what I'm stealing. Yeah. Oh, good. good. Well, trial and error for sure. But when the kid receives the baton, and there's there's four kids, they're all coming like they all received it at the same time, and we're talking about second, third, and anchor legs. Get in front. Right. Espe- the worst thing that can happen is you get that free energy of that four to six seconds, the ADP CP, and just like a regular 400, if you don't use it, you lose it kind of mentality with that energy system. If you don't get out, then they're gonna get out and they're gonna slow you down and then now you're caught. There goes your good time. Now it's gonna be, I gotta wait for them to get around the turn before I can pass them on the straightaway. Just get, be aggressive early on and then you get to dictate terms of that race. Yeah, exactly. Every kid you get ahead of has to pass you to win. So, you know, that's, that's it. And you're making them run farther than you are. So I think that's a, a really good thing. We want to get out hard. And that's why your second leg, you want to come off in real good position. You know, uh, that, so the second, second leg has to, has to learn to run a hard turn, that first turn. And, you know, maybe, maybe even a little harder than would be in an open four. Um, just because you want to come off and, and be in that position. And, you know, legs two, three, and four have to run 410 meters. They don't have to run 400 meters, you know, so they got to run a little bit longer. Um, and it's a little bit tougher for them. They just have a little bit longer race. Um, so anyway, yeah, um, as far as how to take the baton with your hand, JT, what do you do? Do you have the baton perpendicular to the track with the incoming runner mm-hmm. sticking it out, like holding a torch up like that? Yeah. So this yeah. is, that's a good question. What I typically tell my athletes is, and I, and this is when like a 1600 meter runner or 800, I've never done it before. You have a freshman, like, what do we do? And you're teaching them right before the coaching cues I give them is I want your hand open and out. I want it above your shoulder and the, and then don't grab the incoming runner will push it in. 
And right. so they have it, and again, like you said, they have it perpendicular, up and down, like they're the Statue of Liberty, and right. they push it in, and then they practice making that transition. Yeah, and then, um, you know, I, I used to go with kind of a handshake pass where the baton wasn't um, perpendicular, but there's less baton to grab, you know, if you do that. It's, it's best to have it up, and, and then you have more baton. Uh, there's less room for error if that baton is close to being perpendicular yeah. on the track. It's easy to push it in when it's yeah. up and down as opposed yeah. to... I mean, yeah. the last thing you want is to see a, yeah. a baton yeah. fall in the four by four. And then as the outgoing runner, you, you have to, you have to take that baton. Okay. And, and actually the incoming runners, you know, that, that kid might be cross-eyed and foaming at the mouth and, you know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. going to be tough. Eyes watering. Yeah. Staggering, yeah. you know, across the line. It's your job to take that. You must sure. take it away. In the four by one, it's your job to receive it. If you're the outgoing runner in the four by four, it's your job to take it. You know, you really need to take it. Um, do you talk to your athletes about how they hold the baton in a four yes. by four? Yeah. Can you explain they that? Hold it like a pencil, you know, there's going to be some consequence because <laughs> there's no reason to hold it like a pencil. But coach, um, it looks so cool when I hold I, it like a it pencil. Is cool. It's so when cool. my, my fingers are interlined and they're all over the place. Yeah, and yeah, I look can, like you, a, a gangster running. So it's no, awesome. you, you grab the baton and you hold it, you know, firmly in your hand. I mean, you don't want to squeeze it real hard and make yourself tense, but you get a good grip on that and do it. I've seen so many kids get hit and the baton go flying or, or just when they start to come off the turn or, you know, it, it, it try to accelerate towards the end of the race and have a loose grip on it and throw the baton away themselves. And, you know, there are all kinds of accidents that can happen. So well, no, we practice it too, right? Yeah. I mean, in a, in a practice, I just give the kids batons. Hey, we're doing reps. You know, like it's going to be a hard lactic day. Here's 25 batons. We're all doing baton. Like you run with the baton. I don't want my athlete the first time they've run with a baton in a four by four to be the dual meet where it's, you know, score 65 to 65 and whoever wins this thing wins the meet. You know, we don't want that. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the and the other thing is, you know, you want them holding it at the bottom, obviously you don't want it in the middle because if they're holding it at the bottom of the baton, there's more baton for the outgoing runner to, to grab, um, you know, and so what was it? it was in the it was in the semi at, at the Olympics in Tokyo. One of our guys, uh, oh, the kid from North uh, North Carolina or oh Ross. Yes, yes, he came in. He was holding at the top of the baton. Yep. And yeah, and I saw him. He pushed very it out. Awkward, very yeah. awkward pass. You know, it seemed to me. Um, but um, so hold at the bottom and keep it pretty much upright. And I think that's the you know the easiest way to do it. Also, what do you ever? Talk to your kids about making room for themselves on the this, the second and third pass when they oh. have to be there in, in a lineup. Um, so we do. And I typically tell them, um, you be aggressive and push people out of the way. <laughs> like, like if you see your kid coming down, I don't want the incoming runner who's tired, like you said, eyes watering, foaming at the mouth, about to pass out. Um, if they ran a good race, right? So if they're coming down, I don't want them to have to guess where you're going to be. So I tell my athletes, Lanes one, two, or three, like that's it. And our guy will get there for you. And so they're pushing aside. In fact, in the four by four, I think it was our, Michael Cherry was coming down. It was Michael Norman, who the kid he handed off to, uh, there was some pushing and shoving going on. And yeah. the guy, the Polish guy was putting his hand on his back and he was slapping it away. He was making room for himself by sticking his butt out pretty right. far. He was taking right. the entire lane right. because Michael Norman coming in to give the baton, you don't want that guy who just ran 44 seconds flat to be, he's gonna be tired. So yeah. why should he have to figure out a way to, you know, literally thread the eye of a, you know, needle to give you a baton? 
you want to make room inside for your guy coming in, you know, or your lady coming in, right? You want to have a little bit of room inside of you. Um, and so, you know, what you can do is you can just, you know, make your butt stick out a little bit, box out like you would in basketball a little and, uh, you know, make some room. The other thing is if you're significantly behind in a race um, and you're, at, you're outside, like the officials are lining you up, you know, to leave, um, at least in high school meets, usually they move those kids down you know, as, as people come by. So if you're two or three seconds behind where you line up at the beginning to receive that baton, you might be moved towards the curb a little bit. So the incoming runners got to kind of make that eye contact. I think eye contact is big and don't panic coming off the turn, especially if you have an, an incoming runner that finishes well, you might have a kid out as the fifth kid, right. In that lineup, but your incoming runner is going to pass, you know, a bunch of people coming, coming down the track. Um, he just needs to keep uh, eyes on that outgoing runner and not weave, not go too far oh, out. Yeah. No, know, no weaving. In and weave. Yeah. No serpentining down the runway. Right. right. That's, that's killer. Um, well, it's actually good to hear you say some of these things because they're very affirming to, I'm sure a lot of people listening that these are the things that they do, but I love practicing for the four by four. We get really goofy with it and the kids have a lot of fun with it. And as a coach, I'm trying to put them in different situations that they may have to experience with kids running to like they're getting passed or they're about to pass or there's a congestion. I even will have kids stand still, uh, basically at the big triangle where they receive, like where they're starting acceleration spot is and all over the place on the track. So the kid that he, he turns around, receives the baton and he has to literally find like a good running back, find that lane and get going. Um, right. and you know what? there's going to be a situation where they have to practice. I mean, it has to be intrinsic because they can't think about it. And especially the start of their leg, they got to, they got to know. Right. Right. I know. No, I think it's good. And I think practice can be fun. You know, like you said, you know, with, I used to have kids like, um, I, I used to have kids turn, turn circles and then look back and have to make eye contact in traffic oh, and do all <laughs> kinds of crazy things. And the kids loved it. And, you know, it's just a, a motivational tool for kids to want to be part of that relay. I think um, when you do that, um, you know, I, practice wise, you, you said it, I mean, I think we need to go at the end of the workout when, when, cause being, you know, our kids doesn't matter if they're fatigued. We want them to be a little bit fatigued when we're doing that. We're not, we're not running them entire four hundreds, you know, so, mm -hmm. um, and multiple teams and multiple lanes and, you know, that whole thing, make the circumstances hard. I, and, and I think you do that really well and your teams have, you know, have, uh, achieved really well because of it, you know, they're, they're well coached and they know you know, under any condition, they're going to be okay. Lane nine, lane one, whatever it's going to be. Well, let's wrap it up here. I mean, you and I, when we first decided we were going to talk about the four by four, we thought, gosh, can we talk about the four by four long enough? And here we are at almost 40 minutes, which is one of the longest podcasts. I didn't want to stop. I didn't want to stop talking because the four by four is the best event in track and field in many people's opinion, including I think yours and mine. We love the four by one. We love other events. We love the hundred. I mean, of course, but the four by four is special and you can put four different athletes from four different, uh, oh gosh, many, many different parts of the track and field. Uh, you know, whatever event it is, hurdlers, 800 runners, milers, hundred runners, long jumpers, pole vaulters. It does high jumper. It doesn't matter. You can stick kids in a 400 and go, all right, we're going to see what you're made out of. And uh, especially if you're a high school coach, it's going to build character like pretty quickly. So um, 
Brian, thanks for joining me. Thanks for talking about the 4x4. You, you, we got to talk about the 4x2 next, even though it's not really a California <laughs> event. We don't run that in California. I know. I wish I feel we did. So sorry for these, I don't feel sorry for them, but I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they run four relays in a, in a dual meet. A 4x1, a 4x4, you know, a 4x2, and a 4x8. Uh, it's amazing that they can do that. But uh, right. you know, coaches all over the nation do that. And it's, it sounds fun. Yeah. yeah. And then not only that, but some of those kids are throwing a spear over to the side too, which right, we don't right, in California right. as well. So um, this uh, podcast is brought to you by On Track and Field. On Track and Field, you need to go to ontrackandfield.com. They just actually moved uh, warehouses to a better place. You can check it out on their website. Um, you even might even need to just go there and check it out and just – a la carte, impulse buy, a bunch of fun stuff. So you can uh, go to ontrackfield.com. You can even Insta or Instagram or even DM me on Twitter, and I'll help you get connected with them. But on track and field is going to hook you up with what you need in relation to all things track and field, including knowledge about relays with Brian Fitzgerald. So, Brian, thanks for joining us, and uh, look forward to next time. It was great being here. Thanks, JT. Thanks for listening to the On Track and Field podcast with this week's guest, Coach Brian Fitzgerald, and our host, JT Ayers. For all your track and field and cross-country needs, check us out online at ontrackandfield.com. And when you do, you can save up to 15% on everything in your cart upon checkout. Just enter Track Talk when you're checking out. And make sure to follow us on our socials at ontrack, the letter N, field, at ontrack and field. And also sponsored by RelayBatons.com, custom engraved meat and competition legal relay batons. The perfect medal for when your team sets a new school or meet record. And ideal for coaches awards, team branding and fundraising, and custom engraved water bottles, mugs, and tumblers. RelayBatons.com